Before we jump into today's episode, I literally just finished recording it. It's 2.31 a.m. on June 19th, 2020, and I realized something as I was getting ready to go to sleep. Um, I talk about how there was transgender deaths this week by police, um, by other suspects that may not be police officers, but I did not say their name. Now, my intent of not saying their name had absolutely nothing to do with the fact that I don't care about these men, women, and non-binary people who, who died tragically. It was my laziness that didn't, that didn't stop me from uh, stopping this particular podcast or pausing it just to find out what their names were. So I'm going to say their names right now. And as we go into the episode, understand that it'll all come together, but my deepest apologies for my disrespect to these victims. It doesn't matter what my intent was. The end of fact is that it was, it was disrespectful for me to not take a moment to figure out who it was. Also, I know that there were more people that have died, um, Unfortunately, it's so hard to keep up with how many police shootings, how many transgender people die. Um, One, because it's underreported, but also it's happening faster um, than it needs to, and it doesn't need to at all. So one is too fast. It's too much. But I'm babbling and I want to go ahead and say their names. Tony McDade, he died May 27th, 2020. He was 38 years old and he was a transgender man. He was fatally shot at an apartment complex in Tallahassee uh, by an officer who worked for the Tallahassee Police Department. There were two black trans women who were murdered June 12th, 2020. One was Dominique Fells. She was of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And Rhea Milton was the other one who was found dead in Liberty Township, Ohio. Again, there are definitely more transgender deaths that have happened, whether it's by cop, whether it's by some hateful person because of a hate crime. And we need to say their names. We need to say it louder. We need to protect our trans family because they're humans and their lives matter just as much as anyone else's. Well, hello, everyone. This is Clarissa of 512FM, and I'm back. It is currently June 19th, 2020. At 12.22 a.m. And if you're watching this, my light just kind of decided to drop because I guess I didn't tighten the tripod enough. But you know what? It works. It's all good. So anyway, hi, how are you? And that's a real question. How are you? Because I'm not going to lie. I'm a little bit overwhelmed. Um, I have a lot of emotions. It's frustrating right now. 
I'm very angry. There's a lot of sadness. My depression has kicked up, of course, along with my anxiety because they both play to play well together so greatly. Um, and, and of course, it's been a long time since I've done a podcast. So of course, we all know in this time of 2020, um, we are still in a lockdown because of COVID. Well, let me take that back. Some of us have enough sense to be kind of lock- in lockdown during COVID. Some people's governments, like mine, decide that money is better than protecting people's lives, so they've opened up everything in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, so yeah, COVID-19 is here and has not left, and I don't know if it will leave because we don't have leaders that believe in science. Um, and, and that's been really rough over the last few months. I was working a full-time position with a company I really enjoyed, but because retail really took a hard hit during the shutdown, I no longer work for the company. So I have been freelancing and doing other projects here and there while being at home. Um, being single without kids is also not the best I've come to realize um, as I am as I'm sitting here in lockdown. But luckily, I got a bunny. I did got a bunny. His name is Bunny Anthajets. Um, I call him Buns, which is apparently not a unique nickname for a rabbit. Uh, again, if you're watching this and you see me kind of looking off to the side, this is his like hype time right now because rabbits sleep during the day. I'm recording at midnight. And so he is hyper and ready and wanting to run around, around and do all the things. He's in his large cage. Anyway, so that's kind of helped me stay sane um, because it's been a lot. It has been a lot. And not only are we dealing with a pandemic in terms of COVID-19, we're dealing with a pandemic also known as racism. As many of you know who are listening, George Floyd, who lived in Minneapolis, Minnesota, was murdered by a police officer and four accomplices who were also police officers. Um, outside of a store. The crime was that he was uh, trying to pay with a counterfeit 20, I believe. And the person at the cash checking place decided to call the cops. Um, I'm not putting that responsibility on the person, obviously. I'm just saying that's what happened. And the cops showed up and he got dragged out of his car. He ended up dying of a sick, uh, of asphyxiation, excuse me, Uh, And I probably still didn't say that right because the main cop put his knee to his neck all for a counterfeit 20. There's no reason for you to ever put your knee in someone's neck. But the fact that a counterfeit 20 led to somebody's life uh, ending is just another way that we as black Americans have to try to process this incredibly dangerous hate that is in our world, um, that our lives somehow don't matter, which is why Black Lives Matter is a movement that started in 2014. But this is also not the first time someone who has died because of uh, they weren't able to breathe. Eric Garner of New York 
his last words were, I can't breathe when an NYPD officer choked him. Um, more cops, uh, death by cops. Michael Brown, who was murdered by a cop in Ferguson, Missouri. There's Alton Sterling, who was shot dead by cops in Baton Rouge. Tamir Rice was 12 years old when a cop in Ohio shot and killed him. Excuse me if I don't say this young lady's name correctly. Um, Atitiana Jefferson uh, died at 28 years old after a Fort Worth cop shot and killed her during a welfare check. Uh, Brianna Taylor was asleep in her home when Louisville police officers broke into her house while she slept because they thought that they were about to bust a drug raid, um, shot and killed her, and the cops are on paid leave. They have not been arrested, and at the time of me recording, there is no announcement on whether or not they are going to actually arrest the people that killed this young lady. And since I'm recording, there's been a lot more. There's a whole list, and it's a lot. It's, it's, it's a lot to deal with. Um, my neighbor is a cop. I've never had any real issues with him. But I do find myself being a little bit more scared um, to go outside. I was spray painting something one night and I was just like, oh my God, what if he thinks I'm creating something or, you know, whatever else? Is he going to find a reason to come over and like bust through my door? Um, while I sleep. I definitely have anxiety. I have gained more anxiety when it comes to cops. I got pulled over for the first time ever for speeding and got a ticket. And I just remember, I know everyone says not all cops are bad cops, but here's the deal. If you are terrified of the police, you're not thinking, oh, this could be a good cop. You're thinking, oh shit, I'm about to become a hashtag. So continuing the story, I got pulled over and the first thing I did was, okay, pull over into this church. Make sure you're in front of the door where people are going in and out. It was during a work day, so it wasn't like there was service, but there were still people working at the church. Um, and then I put my phone on a recording and I made sure my hands were out. And it was just, I have never said yes, sir, to anyone so many times in my life. You legitimately would have thought that I was talking to my slave master. I said, yes, sir, so many times. I was terrified. I think I was terrified for the next two days. And I often think that like maybe I'm being dramatic by all of this. But then I look back at these situations where cops have killed people for no reason. And I'm not saying every single person was innocent. I mean, if you're paying with a counterfeit 20 you know, maybe you can't come to the store again, but you should still be alive. There's no reason for you to die. You know, at that point, when somebody's killed by a police officer, it doesn't really matter what the crime is, not because they should be allowed to do it, but if you if you stole a pack of, packet of bubble gum and you get shot and killed for it, the moral of the story is not to not steal a packet of bubble gum. It's why the heck is your first thought as a police officer to go from pay for this pack of packet of bubble gum and like you can't come back to the store anymore. Why is it not that instead of okay, you must die two bullets in the back? And I think about the young man 
who uh, died and went, uh, he fell asleep in a Wendy's and then he took the taser from the police officer and then the police officer shot him twice in the back. The other police officer held him down and nobody sought medical attention. It's not the first time that people will take a taser from a cop or try to take a weapon from a cop. But what I've seen is that when white people have done it, they've been able to talk them down. So the ability to me is obviously there for you to be able to talk down these people, but you true you choose, you pick and choose who you want to talk down. And there's a whole thing that I can't really get into because I'm not super, super knowledgeable about this, but there's a podcast called Behind the Bastards. It is a really great podcast with Robert Evans. Um, Him and another person are doing a series about how the police officers came to be, how they went from being slave patrols. And yes, that means people who were just random citizens patrolling the streets to make sure their slaves were, or all the slaves were inside by their curfew time. Um, So the meaning when black people hear, or when black parents say, make sure you're in by the streetlights, that comes from a whole slave um, kind of a thing back from slavery. But anyway, so they went from literally slave patrols to cops. There was no in between. It's not like they got better. And it's not like they changed who they, what they were uh, trained to do. It's literally the same tactics with higher and better technology. It is something that, for me anyway, is disgusting, but it's also kind of heartbreaking because you think that cops are supposed to be the good guys. It's what we're taught in school that cops are supposed to be your friends. And then you get older and you realize like, that's not necessarily true. And I'm not gonna go into this whole details of like stories that I have with cops and everything else because I think it's just, it's kind of a waste of time, but I do have stories where I tried. (laughs) I I told my friend yesterday, I was like, I tried with cops. And not in the sense that like, I'm not sitting here saying rage against the machine and like do something terrible to cops, but It makes me think about there has to be something done. And there's this movement about defunding and abolishing police departments and ICE. And I am 100% for it. Surprise, surprise. Because I think that that money, the millions of dollars that's going to police departments should be going to community services, youth services, educational services, mental health services, etc. Because when we have people, when you have money in those particular programs, you can actually see crime go down. I'm not going to get into it. Anyway, back to Behind the Bastards. There's a great series that's happening. They are unsure of how many episodes it is, but it's really good. It talks about slave patrols. talks about how the KKK were basically invited to be police officers and then modern day police officers. Really good if you want to know your history about it. If you are the spouse of a cop or someone in law enforcement, I'm not sitting here preaching to have any kind of violence uh, bestowed upon them. I only want the history of all of this 
to be uh, known because I think we need to stop hiding behind this fake facade of like, oh, the police departments are just, or the police officers are just doing their job. Some of them are not, some of them are, but some of them are not. And I've said this time and time again, yes, there are some good police officers, but if those good police officers are silent during the microaggressions that they're having toward people they suspect are doing something wrong, if they are quiet during the times that um, they are, outwardly doing something wrong and outwardly racist and they're not stopping them they're not reporting them then really what's the point of you being a good cop you're letting it happen your silence is encouraging that behavior to happen so yeah there are good cops but right now it's very hard for us to see that and if you've been at a protest wearing your mask excuse me um and you've been hit with rubber bullets or been gassed or anything else how are you a good cop and you being okay with that nobody is stepping up and saying hey they have the right to protest just like we allowed these people to protest not wearing a mask which i don't even want to get into these people have the right to protest the way they're protesting anyway i'm not going to get deep into that because I could and I want to so very badly. But there are a lot of things to cover (laughs) with this. And I don't know if I'm going to keep this as a long episode for your three-hour drive to Whereversville or if I'm going to break this up. So usually I like to talk about pop culture first, kind of lighten the mood, but this is not that type of podcast uh, episode, series, etc. So... I'm going to do pop culture, but we're going to talk about things with this kind of on this topic. All right. So in pop culture news, a lot of people are suffering consequences for their actions. Look at there. Uh, One thing that I will say that this whole, this, this social unrest, social uprising, if you will, has brought is accountability from the top to the bottom. And we will talk about Black Lives Matter and brands a lot later, but I wanna kinda stick with pop culture. Um, A lot of big media companies have come out and said, you know, we believe racism is wrong, Black Lives Matter, da 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 da. But then of course, like you have Viacom who never apologized to Janet Jackson for blacklisting her Uh, for being promoted because of the 2004 quote-unquote scandal while Justin Timberlake was able to to flourish and whatever during uh, or after the situation. Um, And if you don't know that story, quick story is after the whole 2004 nipplegate, if you will, um, Janet, they were saying that Janet Jackson needed to beg for forgiveness. Justin Timberlake did that, threw Janet Jackson under the bus, Viacom, who owns BT, VH1, and MTV, blackballed her and said, um, basically, don't play any of her new music, don't help her promote her new albums. So if you notice, it rarely got played on MTV, VH1, or BET. Luckily, she's Janet Jackson. She's talented as heck. She's, you know, my queen. And she was able to, she's still able to get by, 
but the owner, the previous owner or the current owner of CBS, which is tied to Viacom, was obsessed with trying to ruin her career. Um, and that's kind of where we are with the Janet Jackson thing. So anyway, um, the there's a character, there's an actor on The Flash. He got fired. I can't remember his name because I don't watch The Flash. But he got fired because of some homophobic, um, racist tweets that came up from his past. That wasn't too long ago. But let's talk about what I do now. I watch a, well, I watched a show called Vanderpump Rules, as we all know. And Vanderpump Rules really is just about a group of white, cisgendered, heterosexuals, except for two who have come out as bisexual publicly. Um, And they're a friend group and they have drama and it's just whatever. But between there were on they just finished their eighth season between season six and seven there was one black girl out of the whole like history of the show there was one black girl who was a supporting cast member if you will and her name was faith she was friends with another cast member lala who was really great at culturally appropriating and ended up cheating ended up sleeping with one of the people, Jax, who was dating his now wife, Brittany, at the time. A mess. Anyway, between season six and seven, it was a plot line uh, during season six. Between six and seven, two of the other people on the show, Kristen and Stassi, decided that this person who was shown in the Daily Mail looked exactly like Faith, and the person that was in the Daily Mail was shown because she was like grand theft auto and like stealing and drugging a bunch of people it was a mess um instead of actually making it clear that that happened they were calling the lapd on faith faith had an alibi it checked out luckily nothing happened to her because we all know that police don't give a damn if you are innocent or not if they bust into your place they'll kill you they'll leave and say oops my bad so luckily nothing like that happened to faith um, Jax and a couple of other people on the show lied, said that Faith, and by the way, I think I mentioned that Faith was black, but if I didn't, I'm here to reiterate that. Um, Faith uh, was in the military for about four years. She served, she got honorably discharged, but there was a rumor saying that she was AWOL from the military. And Stasi went on these podcasts and just said everything as if it were fact. And being AWOL is a serious deal in the military. If you are AWOL, you're not going on a reality television show, people. Um, I have my Italian hands up for those who, who can't watch the video because it's so dumb. Um, you're not going on a reality TV show if you're AWOL. Like, it's, it's just not going to happen. So... They call the military police. The military police is like, um, nah, she's good. And again, luckily for Faith, nothing happened. And now, uh, but they were kind of able to get away with it because as Faith was trying to tell the story when it happened two years ago, nobody really cared because she was the girl that Jack slept with to cheat on Brittany. 
even though it's supposed to be 50-50, but then Jack's dad died and then he used that as an excuse. I'm not being insensitive. Anybody that watches Vanderpump Rules understands why we kind of roll our eyes about that now. Anyway, (laughs) so it came back up two years later because Faith was on a show, was doing an Instagram live with one of her friends. And, excuse me. (coughs) So sorry, you guys. Um, Faith was doing an Instagram show, uh, Instagram live with one of her friends that was on another show on MTV. People were asking her in the comments about what happened and talk about your time on Vanderpump Rules. She did, and she retold the story. It finally picked up because of the social unrest that we're in now. And not only that, but Stassi has had her, um has had her troubles because she posted a picture of her, Kristen, and another friend, Rachel, I believe, um, where she labeled herself as Nazi chic. She got in some trouble about it, but not too much because after that, she was able to release a book, uh, be sponsored by a bunch of brands, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Anyway, so then that comes up, people start flooding, get Stassi off the show, get Kristen off the show. It becomes a mess. They contact the PR people, media people. I'm not going all the way into it, but basically any kind of representation that these women had were gone because these brands who are putting their black square on Instagram saying that they're listening and whatever else, they have to match their words. They have to, if you're going to talk the talk, you have to walk the walk. And if you're keeping people, if you're paying influencers or, or representing people who have history of being racist, uh, that's an issue. <laughs> it definitely goes against everything that you claim to stand for. So yeah, so Stasi, who had the most to lose, lost a lot. Kristen and Stasi, along with Brett and Max, who had uh, racist tweets that came up before, All four of them got fired from Vanderpump Rules. Great, but we still have a person named Jax Taylor on the show. And Jax Taylor, how do I describe him? Terrible. Jax Taylor is terrible. Not only is he a serial cheater, a compulsive liar, a narcissist, um, he's also said some really problematic things online. He said some very homophobic things. He said some very transphobic things. There was a trans, um, excuse me, a transgender woman named Billy Lee who was on the show for, got introduced in season six, um, had a plot line in season seven. The way they edited her was to make her look like a villain, um, I'm not even going into those great details about it, but all that to say is he said some very homophobic things to her to the point that like she fell into a deep depression. And one of the things I'm not, like I said, I'm not going to go deep into it, but one of the things is there was a girl's night flyer or something going on and she wasn't on the flyer, but everybody else was. And she felt like she did when she got rejected when she was younger because she wasn't allowed to go to the all-girls sleepover. She had known it since she was younger that she was transgender. And so it just kind of brought up those feelings again. But it, we weren't allowed to hear that story or that explanation because the way that Bravo Evolution, uh, which is the production company, cut it, basically cut it to make her look like 
a, a villain and then she tried to explain on the reality show and Lisa and everyone basically shut her down. So the whole show is problematic. But anyway, Jax Taylor has been transphobic, biphobic uh, against Ariana, who is one of the people on the show that has publicly declared her bisexuality. And he said it more than once, not only online, but also on a Watch What Happens live show that comes on after a lot of like the Bravo shows, um, kind of like a late night talk show that Andy hosts. Um, he's like I said, he said some racist things about somebody's nose, which if you understand racism, whether it's a black person or it's a Jewish person, their nose has always racism is weird. <laughs> so it's weird to explain this, but the nose has always been something that has been kind of the target for racism. So we don't talk about people's noses or or physical features in a negative light because there is racism behind it. Uh, anyway, but he's still on the show. And from what I know, his sponsors haven't dropped him. And I don't know why. Look, I do believe that Stassi and Kristen should have been fired 100%. I also believe that Max and Brett should have been fired, 100%. I also fully believe that Jax Taylor deserves to be fired. If we're firing people because of their actions, we can't keep one on because you're not proving your point. You're just trying to appease us. I don't want to be appeased. I have nothing. There's nothing I gain from anybody getting fired from their job. But if you're going to talk your talk, you need to walk your walk. And having a couple of the cast members from the Real Housewives of Atlanta and Real Housewives of Potomac talk about racism is all well and great and good. But if you're not fixing the racist problem that's within your company, all this other stuff is just for show, right? So there's been a lot of other celebrities too outside of Vanderpump Rules that have kind of gotten the cancel culture, if you will, and we'll talk about cancel culture in a second, um, but have had brands pull their sponsorship from particular people. Leah Michelle's another one. Quick story on Leah Michelle. She's had this reputation of being not a nice person for a while. I think she's a talented singer. Acting, she's fine, but she's a very talented singer. But uh, she had said, you know, the senseless crimes of George Floyd, kind of the same messaging that everybody else had and said that Black Lives Matter. A, an actress who was on the show, who was on Glee with her, retweeted her and said, you remember when you made my life a living hell? And then a couple of co-stars, people that have co-starred with her either said, yep, or had like a, a drinking tea gif or whatever, gif, gif, whatever, um, to kind of say, to co-sign, basically. And then people contacted HelloFresh and they were like, we don't stand for racism. We have, she is no longer representing our brand. I was like, whoa. And here's the thing. People will say that cancel culture sucks, but I don't look at things like that as cancel culture, I look at it as consequences for your actions. You should not be rewarded for being racist. You should not be rewarded for being homophobic or transphobic or misogynistic. 
you should not be rewarded for being a bigot. Even though the president of the United States miraculously has, that should not be the norm. So if brands are taking a hard look at themselves, influencers as well, they they need to really look at what they're doing in their company, who they're representing. And again, there's a lot more that will probably come out by the time this episode comes out. Um, I know there is some people from MTV that have been fired because of their racist past. But this also makes me wonder too, why did somebody have to have a knee to their neck and choke to death before you said, okay, we've got to take racism seriously now? Because not doing that in the beginning, not doing a background check, and then all of a sudden, because of public outcry, okay, okay, we'll, we'll get rid of the racist now. Um, you know, that's weird. And it doesn't feel authentic. Not to me, a black person. So that's been some of the pop culture canceling, if you will, the consequences for their actions. And there's going to be a lot more. Uh, Candace Patton of The Flash has also called out the CW for paying their black actresses lower than everybody else. And I am so sorry I forgot the young lady's name um, who's on Riverdale. She said the same thing, doesn't give her character depth. And that's the thing is that that's not uncommon. That is not an uncommon thing that I've heard. I love the show Degrassi. I love Degrassi. It's probably one of my favorite guilty pleasures. But I remember hearing Andrea Lewis, who played Hazel, talk about the lack of storylines that she had on the show. And she did. If you look at the, if you look at her whole season, I think her only main uh, focus on the episode was that she was Somalian and that she's Muslim. And she got attacked when she was Muslim and she was a, she was ashamed. So she pretended to be Jamaican. She didn't really have a plot line like an A plot after that, or like a main plot after that. She was just Jimmy's girlfriend, Paige's best friend, and that was it. Uh, she would suggest ideas. Nobody cared to to really do anything with it. And there are a couple of other black actresses on the show as well that got the same treatment. They were just the token black person. And most of them were female. I mean, because if we know, we know Aubrey Graham, okay, because I'm not calling him Drake, when I talk about Degrassi, but Aubrey Graham, we know that he had many plot lines. He got shot within a wheelchair, you know? So all of this is very interesting because companies, brands, people are having to look at how they're handling racism and what they mean when they say Black Lives Matter. Are they telling the truth? Or are they just trying to stay in the good graces of people because we're now being more active? And here's the thing also with that, there's a lot of things. <laughs> so I'm gonna say here's the thing a lot. But here's another thing to, to think about. When you look at the protests that are happening happening globally, it's not just happening in, in Minneapolis, it's not just happening in California and New York, it's happening in Japan. If you know anything about the racist history of Japan against black people, you understand why that is a shock to a lot of black people. It's happening in the UK, it's happening in Vancouver, it's happening in France, Australia, New Zealand, it is happening everywhere. 
And the, the crowds are so diverse. You don't just have black people and a sprinkle of white people. You have black people, white people, Native Americans, Latina, Latinos, um, all sorts of Asian persons, like men, women, non-binary. There's, it's just a beautiful spectrum of diverse people in this protest. And a really great thing that I saw when doing some marketing research is that Generation Z and gener oh, not Generation Y, but yes, Millennials and Generation Z really care about brands who care about society and social issues. So brands are kind of having to adapt and really take a stand on certain things, but we can also p pick out and pull out Who's telling the truth and who's not? Who's just saying stuff just to say it and who's not? So like Ben and Jerry's. Ben and Jerry's, their ice cream is expensive. Very expensive. But I will buy from Ben and Jerry's. I will invest. I will set aside some money and savings, you know. And I will get Ben and Jerry's because they hire people who just came out of prison a livable wage, $16 an hour, which is a whole lot more than most um, ex-prisoners get. They have always talked about dismantling white supremacy. They have always been about pro-immigration. They have always just been a very progressive company. So when they talk about Black Lives Matter, nobody really bats an eyelash in like a shock or disbelief because They've always been about that talk. It didn't have to take a pandemic plus another police brutality um, situation for people to say, you know, for, for them to say what they need to say and say Black Lives Matter. They've always said Black Lives Matter, right? Nike's another one where it's kind of 50-50 for me because a lot of Black people do <laughs> buy Nike. Um, a lot of the athletes they sponsor are Black, but also they didn't have to take the chance with Colin Kaepernick whenever they did the ad spot for, for him. So I believe they mean it. And again, Nike is one of those also problematic companies where we can list a whole list of things to go, Ugh, I don't know. But I do believe that Nike tries. And I hope that Nike gets the things that are not great. I really root for Nike to get better. Um, because I do actually think they mean it. And like they just made Juneteenth a, hol a federal, uh, a paid holiday. So Juneteenth is the celebration of when slaves in Texas were free two years after the Emancipation Proclamation. If I can give a very brief history on that real quick, and if I'm wrong and messy, I promise I will clean it up later. Um, the Emancipation, Emancipation Proclamation when signed, only said that the slaves that were free, uh, the slaves in the Confederacy, uh, in the Confederate States were freed. Abraham Lincoln did not have the power to make all of the slaves free. So if you were kind of bordering the Confederate States, you couldn't really, you weren't really free. So two years later, a general whose name escapes me, and I am sorry <laughs> about that, uh, told people, Galveston Bay, like, you're free. 
And so they created the holiday Juneteenth, which is today, June 19th, to celebrate their freedom of being a slave. Um, We all know that that just meant that eventually Jim Crow would come along and then you have redlining and whatever else. But that's the little history of Juneteenth for right now. And so there are companies that are trying to do right and they're still learning. But I do understand the hesitation of why people don't believe certain companies. It's in, in the internet and in Twitter, like, listen, we're in a pandemic. We have time. We have time to expose. And I don't want to get too deep into this yet because I think I'm going to make that an entire episode in and of itself. So put a pin in that. But just know, like, we're on to you, brands. If you're not really about that Black Lives Matter, just keep it quiet. And, you know, just as I like to say, keep quiet and eat your food. You know, like it just you don't have to say anything. You don't you don't have to say all lives matter. You just just not say anything and just go. I'll wait a couple of days to post and then post your business like you usually do. Okay. anyway, part of pausing that because we're going to come back to to brands and Black Lives Matter. But I want to talk about you, you, the individual who wants to be an ally, you, the non-black person of color, or you, the white person who says that your silence can no longer exist anymore. How do you become an ally? I'm going to say this. For me, it's different than other people. I I can't tell you that what I want in terms of people being an ally is the same thing that other black people want because everybody's experiences while we have there's a common thread in them it's very different. Um for me, I grew up in suburbia. So a lot of things I didn't necessarily view as racist until much, much later. And I mean like 28, I'm 34. So it took about till me being 28, I mean, at least 28 for me to start recognizing certain things. Um, I've also had, have had a lot of white friends. I've just, I've been used to being the only black person in white spaces. And so it's kind of weird to try to pick out this racism that I think my mom tried to cautiously warn me about, but didn't want to steal away an innocence as well. All of that to say is, I have a little bit of empathy for those who are trying but get it wrong, Um, but let's just get into it. If you are wanting to be an ally, The best thing to do is do your reading. No, let me go back. The best thing to do is to realize that you are privileged. Now let's talk about what privilege is. Privilege is not about you having a bunch of money. We're not talking about like Richie Rich and you grew up with um, like a trust fund baby. We're not talking about that kind of privilege. When we talk about privilege, especially in America, especially dealing with white supremacy, we say that You have a privilege to not be worried about something that other people have to be worried about. I'll take me as an example. I'm a cisgendered heterosexual. I don't have to worry 
about somebody taking away healthcare from me because I identify as another gender that I wasn't assigned to at birth, right? Because we all know that gender is just a social construct. We just, I just want to put that out there. Um, but my trans family, unfortunately, have to deal with rights being taken away from them because they don't, ident- they're not, they've just, sorry, I'm trying to make this as clear as possible, y'all. It's one o'clock a.m. as I'm recording this. My trans brothers and sisters and family don't identify with the gender they were assigned at birth. They've found their identity, but they can no longer get healthcare because of that. That's crazy to me. They can't get rights because of that. They can't fight in the military because of that. That's weird and hateful and full of bigotry. I don't have to worry about marrying somebody of the opposite sex and that right being taken away from me because I'm heterosexual and this country was built to promote heterosexuality. Being straight is a default. Being gay was at one point a mental disorder along with being trans. Thank God it's not. But it was then. So my privilege is that I don't have to worry about somebody taking away my health care because I'm, I'm transgender. Because as a cisgendered person, no one's going to say, oh, because of your gender, you can't have your gender identity. You can't have health care. I don't have to worry about somebody telling me who I can and can't marry and there being a law about it or them refusing to give me a certificate because I'm a straight person. So it's fine. So when I talk about privilege, I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about not having to worry about things that other people have to worry about. Now, going back to white privilege, white privilege is not having to worry about the cops profiling you that you look like a dangerous person or having a gun pulled on you for something simple like getting a ticket for running a stop sign. Privilege is having privilege is not having to have the talk with your young black kids about police officers and what's happening in our society right now. So your white privilege allows you to kind of coast through and of course there's there's breakdowns if you're a disabled white person you know etc etc but overall you as a white person have the ability to live without fear of being judged by the color of your skin and it impacting your livelihood because people will say oh well there are black people who don't like me and it's reverse racism Here's the thing, reverse racism does not exist. The word you're looking for is prejudice, okay? Racism, especially when we talk about systemic racism, which is basically the same thing, it is literally a system that is built for people who are not white to not succeed, for them to be killed for them to be denied housing and a right to education 
We talked about the Tulsa riots have been a thing that has been talked about greatly because the quote-unquote president decided on Juneteenth that he should have his rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma, when there was the Tulsa massacre in which white supremacists burnt down all of what was called Black Wall Street, literally because black people decided to make better for their lives. These white supremacists came into their town, killed people, burned people down, uh, burned people's businesses to the ground, and to make it better, quote unquote, they had postcards that they would sell in gift shops of black people and black businesses burnt or beaten or dead. That is systemic racism, okay? Black people are not going into white towns and burning everything down and preventing you from being in education and just having the ability to live. So there's no such thing as reverse racism. Get that out of your head. If you are listening to this and you're like, oh, but I've been, someone's been racist to me. No, they have not. And I'm not saying being prejudiced is okay, but I will say this. If you look at society and you look at how things have been over the last 400 years at least, we're probably there are probably black people who are not too keen on white people. And that's just the truth of the matter. That is just something that you have to accept that it's not you, you, the person didn't do anything, but they're not looking at you, the person. They are looking at you, the skin color. And I'm not saying it's right, but I'm saying I empathize. Because again, if I go back to the whole cop thing, there are probably really great, amazing cops out there. I'm not doing the Cupid shuffle with them. I'm not going to ask them to march with us, but I mean, I'm sure you're good and you do your job and you go home and you eat your food and mind your business. But when I see a cop, I don't think that. I never think that. When I see a cop, I think they're all bad. And that's not fair to that cop, but I'm not thinking about your feelings. I'm thinking about my anxiety. All I'm thinking is, please don't let me be a hashtag and please don't have Sean King exploit my name if I become a hashtag. I'm saying it publicly. Sean King cannot have my name as a, he can't say my name ever. Anyway. So understand that you have white privilege, white people. Now, it's not your fault that that black people were slaves, okay? If you were alive, right? If you're alive right now at this moment, listening to this podcast, it's not your fault that white people own slaves. It's not. I don't want you to apologize for slavery. I don't want you to apologize for being white. Just like I can't help being born black. You can't help being born white. I'm not mad at you for existing. This is what I do want you to do. Take that privilege that you have. And you use it to help elevate the voices of those who have been speaking and being ignored. That is what you do with your privilege. And I'm going to go back to the example of being trans, uh, of my transgender family. As a cisgendered person, I can go, "Mm, that's terrible what's happening to them and move on. Or I can vocalize and say, No, this is terrible. What the heck is your problem? They're human beings just like the rest of us. We all deserve rights. And I can speak up for my trans sisters who have died, who have been murdered, 
I can speak up for them and say that you need to investigate their crimes that happened against them. You need to do better. Everyone needs to do better. We all need to do better by protecting them. That's what I can say and that's what I will do with my voice as a cisgendered person because I care about that person next to me. I care about their life. Their life is not any less valuable than anyone else. Their their lives matter. And if we're going to do the speaking of mattering, I know that all lives matter, okay? And I'm only saying this one other time. All lives cannot matter until Black Lives Matter. All lives cannot matter until immigrant lives matter. All lives cannot matter until LGBTQ lives matter. So you can say all lives matter all you want to, but it is null and void because you don't care about anyone else but your white life self, if you're saying that. So, how else can you be an ally? I love that you guys march with us. If you look at different videos of this past protest, you will see white people who have stood between a black protester and a police officer. They didn't make a big deal about it, they just did it. Because they know that their whiteness protects them from just being completely ambushed and randomly killed. They're not seen as a threat as a black woman is or as a black man is or a black non-binary person. So another way to do that is when you're at the protest, be aware. Chant with us, march with us. And I say protect us, not in a way where you have to be G.I. Joe. We're not telling you to like escalate things or anything else. We're just saying doing acts like that really does help and it really does show that you care. How else to be an ally? Recognize how white supremacy is within you. I'm not saying that you are racist But being white and being born into a white supremacy world, you kind of are. And and, and I'm not saying that I feel it's so weird for me to feel like I need to explain all of this, but I'm not saying that in a way of like, all of you are putting crosses in our yard and you're like writing the N word and everything else. I'm, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, again, if I go back to LGBT, because this world is set for a heterosexual default. There's this little bit of homophobia that I grew up with and I had to unlearn. So the same thing with race, there's a little bit of racism that you've learned where white is the default, white is the best. If you look at how we even talk about our color system, White is pure and clean, but black is dirty and dark and it means death, which is not true. Black has a lot of power, but if you keep saying that over and over again, it's going to stick. So we have to kind of reverse 
those things that we've learned, right? We have to unlearn what we have learned. So that's another thing that you can do as a white person is just know that and recognize that white supremacy is within you and you have to dismantle it and you have to do some work. And if that means writing down like some racist stuff you probably did (laughs) and recognizing that it was racist, then do that. Do whatever it takes, but make sure you recognize it. If you've been silent, ask yourself why you've been silent. Because some people do have the thought of, well, if you just did the right thing, then you wouldn't be killed. But that people have done the right thing and they were killed. Maybe you were just scared. You didn't want to start controversy with your family or with your church pastor. And I get that. I understand that. You wanted to play middle of the road, devil's advocate. But let me tell you something. The devil never needed an advocate. Never needed him. Just saying. It's never, it's nowhere. So understanding, again, why you've been quiet, understanding your white supremacy or how white supremacy has lived inside of you and recognizing your privilege are three great things to do to be an ally. Four, always, always, always keep learning. And when I say keep learning, follow activists who dedicate their lives to talking about racism, to talk about dismantling systemic racism. But know that not every black person is dedicated to doing that. I'm not one of those people. I am doing this series, I am talking about it, It's part of my therapy. I just need to get it all out, get it all out of my system. This will always be here for reference. I'm not taking it down. But I'm not someone that wants to continuously talk about racism all the time. I am not that activist. But I can tell you, like Rachel Cargill, I can tell you some activists. I will actually link a whole list of people to talk to you, uh, that you can follow, that you can read, and and basically learn about how racism plays a part in our society and what you can do to help dismantle it. Let's see, activists, oh, for your black friends. Before you jump in to ask them a question or get advice, ask them how they're doing, seriously. And I have to be better at telling my white friends like, ooh, today's not the day for me to talk about this. Cause sometimes I'll wake up and I'll just be in a terrible, like no good mood. And I don't want to talk about anything that has to do with what's on the news, right? Like that's just an emotion I have. I get tired of it. Like my, my brain, I literally physically get tired of it. My brain shuts down. I do want you guys though, to work on asking like, how are you? And if you feel like asking them a question and they don't really seem up to it, see if, and I'm not saying like Google is free to be a jerk. I'm just saying, see if Google is able to answer that question. Does that make sense? Like, I don't want anyone to think like, oh, Google is free. You can, you can Google it and whatever and it's fine. But I want you to understand that like some stuff you can just kind of have to Google the question, maybe narrow it down, 
maybe kind of modify words, whatever it is, but kind of just, just know that you have to do some research on your own about it. And again, it's, it's, you're, you're constantly learning. You're constantly learning. Um, I also know that the black experience is different for a lot of people. And they said this in the beginning, we have a common thread. Um, but also not everybody's experience is, is the same. I didn't have to grow up in a police controlled high school, right? I didn't go to school and see police officers and have metal detectors all up and down of my school because I lived in a pretty affluent neighborhood where that wasn't something that the, the property tax owners or taxpayers were going to, were going to pay for. Right. And also understand, and I say that because if you notice that schools that have lower income students tend to have the most police presence, hmm, it shouldn't be that way. I went to school, let's just say this. I went to school with people who I'm surprised did not get caught doing half the crap that they did and did not go to jail. You worry about drugs in the urban school districts? Bump that. You need to go to suburbia. And I'm not talking weed, which, by the way, legalize weed and and then expulge, expunge, whatever. Get rid of all the records for anybody that had minor weed possession. Anyway, I'm not talking weed. I'm talking coke, heroin, pills, all sorts of illegal substances. I'm not talking just about underage drinking. I did not partake in though. I was a good kid. But the fact that there are police presence in schools that are in the urban areas, and I say, and I mean urban areas, um, in like your major cities, for me, it would be like Dallas, Fort Worth, Arlington, as opposed to um, Richardson, Plano, Frisco, McKinney, et cetera. Um, they do have a higher percentage of black and Latino Hispanic kids that attend the schools, but it doesn't even look like a school. It literally looks like a prison, literally looks like a juvenile detention center. Why? Why? Why are, why are there police officers in schools? It doesn't make sense. And I really don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> I'm recording at 1.21 a.m. But that's, that's another example of privilege. The black experience is where I was going with that. It's a different. For people that grew up in private school, their racism might look different than those who went to a public school. The college experience is different. If you went to a religious school versus going to a, a liberal arts school, for example, the black experience may be different. And let's go a little bit about religious real quick. I'm only gonna touch on it this way. If you are white and you go to church in America, understand this white american churches were built to support white supremacy i've said this time and time again i'm going to say it one more time american churches 
was built to support white supremacy. What does that mean? That means the justification of how white people treated black people, treated Native Americans, was justifiable in churches because they learned how to twist and turn the the messages and the passages in the Bible to make their actions okay. There is a Bible titled the Negro Bible. There are 14 books of that Bible that are missing. It was a Bible for slaves. Now, if you understand the history of the Bible, which again, I'm not going to get too, too deep in. But if you understand the history of the Bible, you understand that there are many books. There are 66 books, but there's many books that are missing from the Bible anyway. Mary Magdalene, uh, the book of uh, uh, Thomas. There's the there's a lot of them that are missing. But, and those are the only two I can think of off the top of my head. But the fact that there are 14 more taken away from that that black people were only allowed to read. Because also remember that black people during slavery were killed for learning how to read and write. They were supposed to remain illiterate because slave owners knew that if they got smart, once they learned how to read, once they learned how to write, it was over. It was done. You know what I mean? So they wanted to keep them illiterate and uneducated so that they could keep doing the messed up things that they were doing. That is white supremacy. Now think about it in today's common terms. If you're in a district where there's majority black and uh, Latino or Hispanic people, look to see how old the textbooks are. Look to see how updated the technology is. Some are doing better because businesses are working with schools, but some are not. Some people have textbooks that are 20 years old. Do you know what's happened in 20 years? There are textbooks out there that don't have anything about 9-11 in them. Because the district can't afford to do it or they don't want to do it. Keep that in mind. The educational opportunities for people in lower income neighborhoods, and I'm and I'm saying lower income, and I'm gonna I'm gonna circle around and put two and two together. But the educational opportunities for people in lower income neighborhoods is so so low because they want to keep the lower class from being able to excel and outshine the upper class. Because let me tell you something, as somebody that went to a school in a quote unquote privileged area, there are some dumb kids who literally got passed just because their mama and daddy knew the right person. I'm not saying any names, but I'm just saying. All that to say is also recognize that racism and classism have a lot to do with each other. I am not saying that every racist, I'm not saying that every black person is lower income. That's not what I'm saying, by no means. And I'm not saying that there are white people that are not lower class, by no means. But understand also 
that even if you look at the lower class, white people in the lower class have a higher chance of being able to be more successful than a black person in their same income class or socioeconomic class. And also understand that just because somebody, just because somebody black excels and becomes the CEO of a Fortune 500 company does not make their lives easier. Because at the end of the day, they're still black. Because at the end of the day, no matter how hard we work, and black women are the most educated women in America, period. Period. We hold the most doctorate degrees, the most masters, the most bachelors, because we're getting more than one. I'm not saying that black women are more superior than others, but here's my point. My point is that none of that matters if we happen to be in the quote unquote wrong neighborhood at the quote unquote wrong time. There's no police officer that's going to ask, what school did we go to? How many degrees do we have? And what our income intake is for the year? That's not how they determine if we're gonna get arrested or not. They will literally look at the color of our skin and go, you're a threat, bang, bang. And next thing you know, you're a hashtag. That's why I keep talking about white privilege because white people can excel, right? They can excel from their lower income, what have you, and they'll be fine. They're a success story. They're the, they are the, look at this person. They did so great. Why can't you? Look at how they picked themselves up for it by their bootstraps. Here's an example. Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan, former VP candidate to Mitt Romney during the 2012 election. His dad received welfare. They were broke as heck. They received welfare all of the government assistance. He worked himself up, became rich. Now, I think he married rich, but that's neither here nor there. Became rich, became a politician, got money. Now he's over here trying to deny rights for other people saying, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. We don't need welfare. Well, how did you get there? How did you get to where you were? Because people have created this narrative that black people and Hispanic people are abusing the system. And my apologies if I'm using Hispanic and Latino completely wrong. I will do better. So it's crazy to me that because you think that non-white people are using the system more and abusing the system more, that we need to get rid of it. When data shows, white people are the ones that are using it more. I'm just saying I believe in data. That's all I'm saying. But all of that is to say, again, I was going from the black experience, I kind of detoured, I'm sorry. This has been therapeutic for me. We haven't even talked about the brand, so that will be another episode. Anyway, white people who want to be allies, understand a lot of things that you were taught and fed was fed with a racist agenda. Understand a lot of things that you were taught in school were either half-truths 
or not the truth. You weren't taught Juneteenth. I was in Texas. I had to, we had to take Texas history. Okay. We had to take Texas history. We had to recite the Texas Pledge of Allegiance and we had to learn the Texas song. I don't know either one to this day, but I'll tell you what we didn't have to learn about Juneteenth. We learned about the Alamo, which I'm pretty sure we lost. We didn't learn about Juneteenth. They pick and choose what they want you to know. And I don't blame teachers on this because teachers barely get to make the decisions on what they teach. So respect to all of my teachers out there. I, except for the racist one I had in sixth grade, but to everybody else who isn't, who isn't racist, who wants to teach the way that they want to, but can't, it's not your fault. It's not your fault because we have a government that basically mandates what teachers can and can't teach in public schools. And that's insane. So for the people who are nurses, who are doctors, who want to help people, understand what is determined as healthy and not healthy was literally based off of a white man. I'm not making this up. These are things I learned in my late 20s. My late 20s. Martin Luther King, love him. But y'all, he was not about roses and like everybody holding hands, singing Kumbaya. Also remember that white people killed Martin Luther King. You know, just put that out there. But Martin Luther King understood looting. He understood rioting. Now, was he going to participate in it? No. But when you hear about people saying, oh, Martin Luther King wouldn't appreciate rioting. He understood it. He said it's the voice of the people, uh, paraphrasing, it's the voice of the unheard. Rioting is the voice of the unheard. Think about that. There's a really great clip that I'm gonna play at the end of this because I want people to understand the passion and, and the hurt and the pain behind it. She makes a really, really good point about why people loot, about why people riot. And again, I'm not sitting here creating an episode telling you to go out there and riot and loot. I think, I personally couldn't do it. I personally could not just riot and start stuff. But if somebody does, I can't sit there and be mad at that because I empathize. I empathize. Now, if somebody next to me started rioting, of course, I'm gonna be like, hey, I get it, but put it down, put it down. But I understand, I'm not here to judge you. Here's another thing, white people, if you're gonna go protest with us, I've seen the majority of white people do this, but I'm just saying for the few, stay with us, do not escalate things. Don't throw things at cops, don't, I'm not saying cops have been have been right in this entire situation. They definitely have not. I'm saying protest with us. Stay peaceful with us. Because the more that you try to elevate the situation, the worse that it gets for us. They don't look at you, Mr. White Boy, who's finally getting a chance to cause anarchy and go, it's that white kid that's doing the thing they're gonna turn to the nearest black person and beat the hell out of them. 
And listen, like I said, this is not this is not something that I'm saying everybody has died. I'm not saying that a bunch of white people have been completely crazy at the protest. Kind of follow our lead, though, on this. So we want a peaceful protest. Be peaceful with us. And I promise, even if we don't say it all the time, we do appreciate you. I appreciate all of my white friends who I've seen daily, not just not just within the last few weeks, but within the last few years, really try their best to be the best allies. I have a friend who has two kids now, and I was always afraid. <laughs> I was always afraid that when her oldest daughter was born, that she wouldn't know who this like black girl was and would be scared of me. But like, that's my little homie. She's four now, but that's my little homie. Their youngest daughter, who's two, is she two? Oh my God, is she two or one? Anyway, the youngest daughter, <laughs> these kids grow up so fast. The youngest daughter doesn't like anyone but her like mom and dad. So I don't take it offensively, but <laughs> I see the parents try so hard to be as inclusive and to be as accepting and to speak up about things. And I think that's a generational thing as millennials are becoming parents. They're teaching their children a lot younger so they don't have that thing of like, I was today years old when I found out that the Statue of Liberty was supposed to be about freeing the slaves and was a black woman. Yeah, I found that out today too or yesterday, whatever. Once you understand the way that America has built the country, we can learn how to change it within. We don't need y'all to stay silent. We need y'all to help us. And I'm gonna say straight people, we need to help our LGBTQ fam, period. We have to be louder. We have to be louder for our immigrants. We have to be louder for our transgender people. And I know I said LGBTQ, but I want to save the transgender people as well. We ableists or able-bodied people, we have to be there for our disabled people. And I'm not talking about just physical. I'm also talking about uh, the, the disabilities we can't see. We have to be there for them. We have to fight for them. Because again, this country is built, and it's weird to say as a minority that there are aspects of white supremacy that I benefit from, but being straight and cisgendered is part of white supremacy. And I benefit from that. And it's icky, because white supremacy is icky. As an able-bodied person, well, physically able-bodied person, it's icky that I don't have to worry about is this ramp going to allow me to get into the door? Is the door wide enough for me to get into my home? That's crazy to me that there's no thought about this. There's, it's crazy to me. I was getting ready to report, uh, record the podcast and I was like, wait a minute. What if someone is deaf and they can't see me? I mean, they can't hear me, but they're interested in what I have to say. Me, first of all, lucky you, because I don't really like my voice that much. <laughs> but at least I can add captions. At least there's a video. 
of me talking and they're able to, you know, follow along. But I had to think about that last minute because I don't usually think about that with podcasts. And I don't video often, as you can probably tell if you're looking at this. So those are the things that I'm saying we have to do better for our, our people next to us, for the people that we don't know. We don't have to be in our little isolated bubble. So I'm going to close this out because I've been talking for a while and I'm thirsty and my rabbit is biting on his cage, but I would like for all of us to just, to really think about our privilege and what we can do to help other people with our privilege. Like I need to speak out more for my trans brothers and sisters and non-binary persons, especially those that have been killed, who the police don't even research. They don't, they don't look for what happened because there's not enough public interest. And I mean that was actually word for word in the news. There was a trans woman that died and they didn't look for they weren't going to look for anything or open a case because the lack of public interest. I'm like, you're not going to do your freaking job because you think people don't care. First of all, how dare you? No one else can get away with doing that. Could you imagine me at a job and just being like, I'm not going to do it because no one cares. But also this is a human being. How dare you? Someone's killed a human being. You're not going to open the case because you don't think anyone cares. And this is why I say defend the police. Not to start this battle cry. But what's the point in you getting more money for not you for you not doing your job? That money could be going to mental health services, services that help um, deescalate arguments or try to help out in domestic violence disputes. You don't want to do your job then don't do your job. Go get another one. Go work at a grocery store or something. But how dare you sit there and say that? <sighs> okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That really frustrated me. Um, but just think about your privilege and how you can help other people with your privilege. White allies, I say thank you. I'm going to say thank you. I'm not saying thank you so that you can stop where you are. You're not done. You're never going to be done, especially if you have children. You are not done by a long shot because there's going to be a time that they go to school and there's going to be some conflicting messages about what's right and what's wrong. Well, I heard at school this or somebody at school told me that and you're going to have to explain to them why that's wrong. you know, be ready. You're going to have to have the hard talk like our parents have a hard talk with us. That understand that certain things even to joke about aren't even funny. Do you know why black people were scared of dogs for the longest time? Because slave patrols, KKK, police officers, whomever would use dogs to attack us. Do you know why black people were scared to swim? It's not because we didn't want to mess up our hair. It was because white people would literally pour bleach on us while we were in the swimming pool. 
so yeah, it's cute. Like, ha ha ha, I don't want to mess up my hair. Like, I don't want to mess up my hair. I just put bleach in my hair to make it blonde. I'm not messing up my hair. My hair would fall out. But there is racism behind these little jokes that people make. So I also understand that too. I'm waving all over the place because this is such a complicated issue. It's very complicated to, to structure. But yeah, I want us all to think about our privilege. And I want us all to think about what we can do to be better allies to people who need it. But white people, I also challenge you to really look at how you're being an ally. And great for you posting things and retweeting things. But if you are in school, if you're a teacher in school, what can you do to accommodate your students better? How can you check your biases a little better? How can you, as somebody in the workforce, how can you help your person, your the fellow black person or person of color in your workforce and make sure that they're not being discriminated against? Because I'll go about this later, but I've dealt with a microaggressive uh, boss who was both toxic and racist. It's not fun. It's very lonesome. There are a lot of days I didn't want to go into work. Like I prayed to ne- to be like critically injured enough in a car accident where I didn't have to go to work, but I could still be alive, you know, which is terrible. There's no job that should make you feel that way. But find out ways to let the person in the room speak if they're not getting that chance to speak, because there's a good chance that the black person in the room is not being able to speak. Again, this is a lot more complicated than I thought it was going to be. I'm kind of off the cuff with it. Um, It's a lot of emotion, you know. It really is. It's a lot of emotion. Also, yes, support your black friends. Support your black friends and their businesses and stuff. Because we're working hard, too. I mean, everybody's working hard, but we're working hard, too. Anyway, I'm going to close. We're going to hear the wonderful speech by the young lady that whose name escapes me but I will add it in and I'm gonna look at why my rabbit is all my rabbit staring at me now okay have a good night we'll talk about brands and black lives matter in the next episode The video that we're going to hear, or the audio that you are going to hear, is from a screenwriter and an author by the name of Kimberly Latrice Jones. When she was out filming anti-police brutality and anti-racism protests with her friend David Jones, she explains why she agrees with the people looting and rioting. Again, I understand that your first thought is that why should you destroy your own neighborhood? And I don't think that that is the intent. The intent is not to destroy your own neighborhood, but people are tired. We've tried protesting peacefully. We kneeled on one knee and you told us to get up. We wore the shirts. You told us to take it off. We tried to talk about it at Aurora shows and you told us to be quiet. What else is there to do? What else is there to do?
So I will leave you with Kimberly Jones's amazing words about looting and rioting. And until next time. So I've, I've been seeing a lot of things talking of the people making commentary. Um, interestingly enough, the ones I've noticed that have been making the commentary are wealthy black people making the commentary about we should not be um, rioting, we should not be looting, we should not be tearing up our own communities. And then there's been an argument of the other side of we should be hitting them in the pocket. We should be focusing on the blackout days where we don't spend money. Um, but, you know, I feel like we should do both. And I feel like I support both. And I'll tell you why I support both. I support both because there, when you have a civil unrest like this, there are three type of people in the streets. There are the protesters, there are the rioters, and there are the looters. The protesters are there because they actually care about what is happening in the community. They want to raise their voices and they are there strictly to protest. You have the rioters who are angry, who are anarchists, who really just want to fuck shit up. And that's what they're going to do regardless. And then you have the looters. And the looters almost exclusively are just there to do that, to loot. Now, people are like, well, what did you gain? Well, what did you get from looting? I think that as long as we're focusing on the what, we're not focusing on the why, and that's my issue with that. As long as we're focusing on what they're doing, we're not focusing on why they're doing. And some people are like, well, those aren't people who are legitimately angry about what's happening. Those are people who just want to get stuff. Okay, well then, let's go with that. Let's say that's what it is. Let's ask ourselves why in this country, in 2020, the financial gap between poor blacks and the rest of the world is at such a distance that people feel like their only hope and only opportunity to get some of the things that we flaunt and flash in front of them all the time is to walk through a broken glass window and get it. That they are so hopeless that getting that necklace, getting that TV, getting that change, getting that bed, getting that phone, whatever it is that they're going to get is that in that moment when the riots happen and if they present an opportunity of looting that's their only opportunity to get it we need to be questioning that why why are people that poor why are people that broke why are people that that food insecure that clothing insecure that they feel like their only shot that they are shooting their shot by walking through a broken glass window to get what they need. And then people wanna talk about, well, there's plenty of people who pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and got it on their own. Why can't they do that? Let me explain to you something about economics in America. And I'm so glad that as a child, I got an opportunity to spend time at PUSH where they taught me this, is that we must never forget that economics was the reason that black people were brought to this country. We came to do the agricultural work in the South and the textile work in the North. Do you understand that? That's what we came to do. We came to do the agricultural work in the South and the textile work in the North. Now, if I right now, if I right now decided that I wanted to play Monopoly with you and for 400 rounds of playing Monopoly, I didn't allow you to have any money. I didn't allow you to have anything on the board. I didn't allow for you to have anything. And then we played another 50 rounds of Monopoly and everything that you gained and you earned while you were playing that round of Monopoly was taken from you. That was Tulsa. That was Rosewood. There are those are places where we built black economic wealth, where we were self-sufficient, where we owned our stores, where we owned our property, and they burned them to the ground. So that's 450 years 
So for 400 rounds of Monopoly, you don't get to play at all. Not only do you not get to play, you have to play on the behalf of the person that you're playing against. You have to play and make money and earn wealth for them and then you have to turn it over to them. So then for 50 years, you finally get a little bit and you're allowed to play and every time that they don't like the way that you're playing or that you're catching up or that you're doing something to be self-sufficient, they burn your game. They burn your cards. They burn your Monopoly money. And then, finally, at the release and the onset of that, they allow you to play and they say, okay, now you catch up. Now, at this point, the only way you're going to catch up in the game is if the person shares the wealth, correct? But what if every time you share the wealth, then there's psychological warfare against you to say, oh, you're an equal opportunity higher. So if I played 400 rounds of Monopoly with you and I had to play and give you every dime that I made, and then for 50 years, Every time that I played, I, if you didn't like what I did, you got to burn it like they did in Tulsa and like they did in Rosewood. How can you win? How can you win? You can't win. The game is fixed. So when they say, why do you burn down the community? Why do you burn down your own neighborhood? It's not ours. We don't own anything. We don't own anything. There is, Trevor Noah said it so beautifully last night. There's a social contract that we all have. That if you steal or if I steal, then the person who is the authority comes in and they fix the situation. But the person who fixes the situation is killing us. So the social contract is broken. And if the social contract is broken, why the fuck do I give a shit about burning the fucking football hall of fame, about burning a fucking target? You broke the contract when you killed us in the streets and didn't give a fuck. You broke the contract when for 400 years we played your game and built your wealth. You broke the contract when we built our wealth again on our own by our bootstraps in Tulsa and you dropped bombs on us. When we built it in Rosewood and you came in and you slaughtered us. You broke the contract, so fuck your target. Fuck your Hall of Fame. As far as I'm concerned, they could burn this bitch to the ground. And it still wouldn't be enough. And they are lucky that what black people are looking for is equality and not revenge.